And this is the View of the Valleys podcast, season two, episode five with TJ Hoover and Chris Smith. TJ, how you been? I'm doing well. I'm better than you are at counting tonight, apparently. <laughs> yeah, I uh, struggled there to figure out if this was four or five, even though I'd looked previously. No, I understand. You look at something like, okay, that's what it is. Okay, that's what it is. Okay, uh, what was it? Yeah, it tends to happen a lot in my life. No, I'm doing well. Um, playoff baseball is upon us. We're one week closer to the basketball season starting. You know, we practice started last week, and now you know we're just a, a few weeks away from getting games going. So it's pretty exciting stuff. Weather's starting to change. I, that's the key to me. Now you start thinking, when when can I finally turn off the air conditioner for good? When can I get the chili cooking? I'm more or less along the lines of when, when can I quit mowing grass? Mm-hmm. I understand that. But, but that turns into picking up leaves. You don't have a lot of trees, but... I don't have a lot of trees, but I won't pick them up. I'll just get the mower out and go run them over. Yeah, that's what you think. <laughs> that's what I'm going to attempt to do. Mm-hmm. But... How are you doing? Doing well. As you said, Cardinal Baseball starting. You know, I went to the game this past Thursday, took off work, and I enjoyed myself and... St. Louis Thursday, and interested to see how they'll fare in the in the one game wild card. Yeah, I know they got the worst odds right now to win the World Series, but I think the Cardinals have a lot better chance than I think a lot of people are are giving them uh, if they can get by the Dodgers. Right, it'll be interesting to see what the Dodgers will do. Scherzer has had some less than stellar outings. Uh, lost their first baseman, so who do they put in his place? I mean, you automatically think, you know, you got a Hall of Famer on the bench, but not against right-handed pitching lately. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. Hey, you got to play the game. If we could just do it best based on who's going to win, we wouldn't do anything. It's like, all right, we think they'll win. See you later. <laughs> For sure. But we got a lot to get into uh, this week, uh, TJ. Uh, during this episode, we'll get you caught up on some of the mid-major news. Uh, also, Moorhead State head men's basketball coach, Preston Spradlin joins the show to talk Moorhead State hoops, the OVC, plus more. Do we have him in the waiting room? Is, that, is he in the green room with the... Yes. Okay. Yeah, okay. he's there. Uh, we'll, we'll also discuss uh, what teams I think would fit well in the OVC if the Ohio Valley is indeed you know, actively looking for uh, teams to you know, join the conference after some of these uh, programs and schools have recently place their uh, departure after this uh, season. First thing, first things first, TJ, uh, we'll get started with some of the mid-major news. Yeah, I came across this. It's a couple weeks old, and I was back September 21st off of Mid-Major Madness, article by Greg Mitchell. But the SWAC and the Pac-12 have signed a partnership for men's basketball. And that's going to involve Pac-12 schools actually going to those SWAC schools. So That's awesome. I, I think it's fantastic. Uh, actually, it's going to be both men and women's, so both sides. Because you get down in the, in the southwest, and women's basketball takes on a, a different level. I mean, the physicality is sure. different. I think the talent pool is deeper in that part of the country. Um, you know, so I think this this is a fantastic deal for the <clears throat> SWAC. I think the Pac-12 has to look at it from a perspective of they're expanding. You know, schools that can can see them. So now, imagine you go into those communities. You know, those those markets. Now that kid's like, all right, you know, Oregon's going to come here twice over the next four years or whatever the deal's going to sure. be. So that's going to start not this year, but next year for the 22-23 season. So, I mean, 
that's just, I mean, can you imagine you're, if you're at Florida A&M and all of a sudden you have USC coming to, to your place to play? It's got to be fantastic. So you wonder if, you know, if the Pac-12 is going basically to the southeastern part of the country down here, uh, you wonder if like a, you know, the Big 12 is going to do try to do something on the West Coast mm-hmm. or something, but who knows if the Big 12 is going to exist, you know, too much longer. Right. Yeah. Um, or ACC. Like made, yeah, the ACC, you know, or, you know, something like that. And of course, those schools can go. That's the thing. Oh, we're not going to come. You can snub them 15 times. They're the prettiest girl at the prom. <laughs> but, you know, when they say they want to go, okay, yeah, 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 come on, come on. This thing, you're not going to be like, no, I'm not taking you. <laughs> exactly. Well, because, I mean, you, you think of the Pac-12 going to the SWAC. I mean, it, it'd make perfect sense if it was like the the SEC, you know, right. going to be playing the SWAC because, you know, a lot of those schools are close by, you know, mm-hmm. cut down on travel. Now you got the Pac-12, I mean, you know, doing a lot of traveling, you yeah. know, a lot of mileage to get down to those uh, SWAC schools. And maybe some more, how do I say this? better time television slots sure because you know how it is living even in the central time zone hey you know oregon oregon state's playing like what time does that start it starts at 10 o'clock our time like good lord like or even if it's nine o'clock you know for an old man like me like yeah, i'm probably not gonna watch much of that but then they play at florida a&m that can be a six o'clock start for oh, yeah. us you know it stinks that it's a four o'clock start for you on the west coast but you know, I, I think that and it just gets them in front of more eyes. Like, so now some somebody, a potential recruit on the East Coast sees you in a primetime slot. No, you're. that's a good point. Uh, I wonder if uh, Bill Walton would uh, still uh, broadcast these games. At, uh, I hope that the SWAC writes that into the contract. We This is a great deal for us. We'll take a million dollars less per school if you don't bring Bill Walton. <laughs> we don't need to watch his cupcake eaten with a hey, handle on it. Hey, Shenanigans. Hey. I always tune in if he's broadcasting. Can't turn it off fast enough. I mean, the the eating the cupcake on live television. Well, I think he was eating like seaweed during the Maui Invitational the one year. But no, I I think it's great for the swag. And, and not only is it better, you know, television slots, you know, it's not. I mean, yeah, maybe the swag does get some primetime mm-hmm. television here and there, but it's usually never at their home facility because it's usually on the road for a non-conference game on like a random Wednesday night. Yeah. And it's on like Fox sports Two, Yes. ESPN, the Ocho, <laughs> you know, something like that. And I understand why I think yeah. we all understand why there's not a big draw, but now if you're playing a pac 12 school, there's more of a chance, especially early in the season where we have those strange non-conference matchups. No, I agree. So with the Pac-12 doing this with the SWAC, let's say a Power 5 conference worked this in with, like, the Missouri Valley, which, you know, I would love to see it happen. I'm sure you would, too. Mm-hmm. But then again, I mean, some of those schools may look at it as, hey, this is a road game at a quality Missouri Valley opponent. We, we may not win. But throw that out. What kind of schools would you like to see maybe travel to Carbondale? I think the first one that comes to, to mind is uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference, the ACC. Uh, I mean, obviously, you think of the Big 12, the Big 10 because of footprint, but I want to bring in those schools that don't necessarily travel here to this part of the country except to play Big 10 and Big 12 schools. So you get a North Carolina, a Duke, heck, even a Wake Forest. You know, I, I think that would, even for those schools that maybe don't have great attendance lately in the MVC, if you get a school like that, People are going to come watch. 
you know, the, the trouble is when you play the Dukes and the North Carolinas of the world, you get more of their blue in your stands. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, all of a sudden, you know, Evansville looks up and it's like, where's all this powder blue? We're not playing Indiana State. <laughs> <laughs> because, I mean, a lot of these Missouri Valley schools, and you, you would know it better than me, I mean, it's not like the facilities are small. I mean, no. most of the arenas are relatively mm-hmm. or above average mm-hmm. for yeah. all of Division One. Right. So, I mean, they can they'd be able to sell out with mm-hmm. ease and, you know, be on national television and not, not the Missouri Valley needs any more, you know, publicity because it's already a, one of the best mid-major conferences, you know, out there. But I mean, if it helps from a recruiting standpoint, like you said, with the PAC 12 going to the SWAC, I mean, this helps, you know, the, the kids that want to go play at a Carbondale, Illinois state or whatever, mm-hmm. if you know that, Hey, that, you know, there's a PAC, you know, a power five team coming here. Right. And we're going to be on television at our home court. Yeah. The problem that has been created, I think we've probably talked about this before, is that for those Pac-12 schools or whatever scenario we build up, it's a, it's, if you blow those teams out, you should have won. Yep. If you lose, what the heck's going on? If you don't win by enough, you know, then it's like, well, why are you doing this? They struggled on the road. You're terrible. Like, well... You know, and a lot of those coaches use use those games that they, you know, the buy games and stuff like that. Hey, we're going to work some things out. We're going to get some kids some minutes. And sometimes you get kids minutes and you're like, see, that's why we need you to work on some stuff that you're not up to where we need you to be yet. But I think it puts those schools in a tough spot. I you know, Hats off to the Pac-12, though, for doing this, especially going on the road. It would have been real easy to sign this deal and like, hey, you guys can come to our place and we'll even pay your way. And, and the, those schools would have been happy to do that, too. But, you know, this makes it great. You know, they're getting those schools in their in their facilities and getting the chance for those kids to, to play on a big stage. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. And if if it were to happen for the OVC now there have been a couple teams that have done that you know mm-hmm. that have came to OVC schools and the one that rings a bell just because I was there uh shoot this had to been five six between five to seven years ago Ole Miss came to SEMO mm-hmm. it was right after the Dickie Nutt era and I feel like that Ole Miss may have may have said they would come to SEMO I think there Dickie Nutt probably worked something out with that contract because I think at the time um, one of his brothers, you know, he mm-hmm. he was big at Ole Miss yeah. in was uh, it, football. Was that when Houston was coaching there? I think so. I don't know if he was still coaching there at the time, but obviously mm-hmm. he would have had connections to right. for whatever. But they came to the Show Me Center, and that was a year where I think SEMA only won like five games, started the year 0-10, mm-hmm. and this was their 11th game of the year. So I'm mean, like, well, I don't think this is what people were expecting when Ole Miss was traveling mm-hmm. to SEMO. But they ended up being one of SEMO's best games of the year. They lost, but it ended up being right. one of their better games. Mm-hmm. So I, I think it gives those players an extra, it gives them extra motivation. Like, hey, we got a big school coming mm-hmm. here. You know, they're ready to go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it'd be cool to see, you know, if Mizzou, you know, maybe go to, you know, a SEMO or Illinois goes to Eastern Illinois for mm-hmm. a regular season game. I think uh, Coach Spoonhour said when we talked to him last year, that I think Illinois came for like an exhibition at Eastern and Eastern beat them. And he mm-hmm. said, well, I, no way Illinois ever comes back. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I think it's neat when uh, when bigger schools do that. Right. I just wish there was something. Those small schools need them to get those those quad one wins. But you hate to see it really hurt those big schools so they're not willing to do it. Or they can't. And I... 
it's not maybe not that they're not personally willing to. It's like they can't risk it. Yeah. You know, because you think about Kentucky losing to Evansville, and that was at Kentucky. Oh yeah, that's all. Ever, that Calipari heard about that for the rest of the year. Yep. Well, here's here's an example for you, and and I did not realize it was this close. But last year went down to Eastern Kentucky, went to Richmond for Eastern Kentucky and Murray State game on a, I guess it was a Friday night, and you know Saturday. We decided we're going to go to a Kentucky and uh, Tennessee game. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was only a 40-minute drive to uh, right, you know, to Kentucky's campus. So, I mean, being that close, you would think, shoot, Kentucky doesn't have to pay much travel expense. Mm-hmm. Just hop on the road and yeah. you're yeah, there. You pay for your hotel. No, you just drive back. I mean. We've got high school conference games that are a longer drive <laughs> than no that. Kid, no kidding. But with that, TJ, we'll go ahead and bring you the interview when we caught up with uh, – Coach Preston Spradlin, head coach uh, Moorhead State, when he joined the show earlier in the week. We are joined by Moorhead State's men's head basketball coach, Coach Spradlin. Coach, thanks for taking time to uh, join us this week. How are things with you going? Hey, yeah, thanks so much for having me on. Um, and things are great. You know, we got cranked up with uh, official practice this week, and so uh, able to be on the court with our guys an extended period of time. and start to really dive into all the things that, that we want to become good at over the next six weeks before we get a chance to play and uh, you know, tighten up on some recruiting and finishing that up with, uh, with some, some traveling around right now on off days. But um, everything's great. You know, exciting time of year on everyone's college campus, especially ours, as we, uh, we crank up official practice. Yeah, I'm sure things are real excited for you right now, especially coming off, uh, you know, the NCAA tournament appearance last year and, you know, ready to get back into it. Yeah, without question, and uh, you know, obviously, just a lot of inherent excitement um, on campus with our with our team uh, coming off of an exciting year, and then uh, obviously, you know, hoping to work and put this pandemic behind us. You know, things are a little more normal on, on most college campuses right now, and I'm excited to uh, to get back into to games here in the next six weeks and get fans in the stands and, and uh, just get some normalcy. But uh, a lot of a lot of positive things happening here at Morehead right now. So as a native of Kentucky and having been on staff at Kentucky, was that one of the main reasons that led you to accepting, you know, the Moorhead State job? Yeah, you know, it's got something to do with it. You know, I'm a very proud uh, Kentuckian. I've been very fortunate, uh, you know, going into my 13th year in college coaching division one level and i've never lived anywhere but the state of kentucky you know and it's very rare in this business and i've just been very blessed that i haven't had to do a lot of moving and, and bouncing around and uh, you know when you get get to growing up in kentucky um you know you, you, you grow up a uk fan and it's what you do is you watch uk basketball games twice a week every week you know and it's, it's just kind of a tradition that you grow up with and uh, you know so my five years there was was really uh, rewarding uh, from a professional standpoint and from an admiration fan standpoint. Um, and then, you know, coming uh, coming to Morehead State, this was really, you know, kind of home for me. Growing up, you know, uh, Morehead State is the is the, the closest Division One university to where I'm from in Floyd County, about an hour and a half uh, southeast of Morehead. And so that's that's the, the, the other Division One school that you kind of grew up following and keeping up with. And so uh, the opportunity for me to get back home uh, get my family back in, you know, the same same type of environment that uh, that I was raised in was was definitely attractive, and then you know, the opportunity to come to another place that really valued 
uh, basketball and, and, and gives you an opportunity to win. And, uh, and then, you know, obviously the, the circumstances afforded me the opportunity to become a head coach here. And uh, I just think it was a great fit uh, being from the area and, um, and, and getting to stay in the state of Kentucky. And so, uh, like I said, just been very fortunate, Chris, all the way around in 13 years to be at two wonderful places um, in, in my home state. So you start out as the interim coach for Moorhead State before you're given a full-time head coaching title at the school. What are the challenges of being the interim coach in the middle of the season? You know, there are a lot of them. You know, I took over um, after four games into the season, and, um, you know, it wasn't like it was a great success right on. You know, you had to figure out, first of all, how you were going to motivate the players. You know, there's a lot of different things going on, and, um, you know, with our head coach's departure and a couple players transferring and playing a really difficult things. You're out how you're going to motivate the guys, how you're going to keep them together um, and keep them from, uh, you know, blocking or keep them, help them rather, you know, block out all the distraction that's just happening with the program. And then how are you going to, you know, make some adjustments from a basketball standpoint? And, um, you know, luckily that year, Chris, we had a great group of young guys with six seniors, um, you know, many of which who I had, had been the recruiter, um, you know, to get them there as an assistant. So we had a relationship with all of those guys. And so we just really focused on them. We focused on, uh, you know, every decision that we made every day was uh, just to, so that we could make sure that they had a great lasting experience at senior year at Morgan State. And uh, we wanted to make it fun for them. And uh, throughout that process, you know, we got better, we changed the things that we were doing, we changed our lineup and uh, the way we defended and some offensive schemes we were doing and put ourselves in a little bit better position with the players that we had to, uh, to have some success on the court. And then, you know, the combination of our guys just having some fun and playing free and loose uh, led us to have a play. Finished uh, second in the conference that year and two all-conference players in the season. Graduated six seniors, as I mentioned, and then and five guys move on and play professionally that were on that team. And so... Uh, you know, there was some some definite challenges, but that's just kind of how we handled it. We just we made it a, a player's first decision with every every obstacle that was in our way, and uh, let that kind of be our 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 guide for for everything that we did. So during the 2015-16 campaign, the Eagles collected 23 wins en route to the championship series of the College Basketball Invitational. Uh, some programs seem to only be, you know, set on whether it be the NIT or the NCAA tournament. Uh, what is your take on tournaments like the CIT or the CBI? You just look at it as, hey, it's a postseason tournament. You know, we'll play as many games as we can. Just honored to, you know, be invited. Yeah, I think so. I think that's probably got to be the approach. I mean, when you're playing in a league like the OBC, uh, which are the majority of the leagues in, in the in the country that are going to be one big bid on occasion, two bid leagues. Um, you know, there's a lot of really good basketball programs and teams year in and year out that, that don't get the opportunity to play in the NCAA tournament, don't get the invite to, to play in the NIT, as you mentioned. And so um, it is an honor and it's a privilege to, to continue to extend your season. And if you get to do that in a CBI or a CIT, um, I think if you've got guys that just want to continue to play and, and uh, you know, there's a lot of seniors out there that are on really good teams that don't get to play in the NCAA tournament. So if you can extend their college career and, and uh, give them an opportunity to play for something in the postseason and experience tournament basketball, uh, then those tournaments have a lot of value. And it extends it for your fans and their experience as well. 
So you guys started off four and six last year, playing. I mean, really a brutal schedule. Um, some a lot of bye games on there. Uh, the tough schedule obviously helped prepare the team for the rest of the year. What kind of growth did you see from the team during that stretch that helped translate, you know, for the rest of the year? Yeah, no, that's a great question. Um, you know, obviously last year was a was a short season. Um, the season got pushed back two weeks. We went from thirty one games to twenty seven. In the OVC, we went from 18 conference games to 20. And so, um, you know, our, our non-conference schedule got completely flipped around with a lot of our opponents. But at the same time, it got chopped on both sides, the front and the back side of it. And so we only played, you know, seven non-conference games, and four of which were against top 25 teams at the, opponent, at the, at the, at the time that we played them. And, um, you know, those were great challenges. And I think that, um, you know, Looking back at the start of the season, we opened up at Kentucky. You know, they're, they're top 10 in the country at that time. It's our very first game. It's their very first game. We have a lot of new players. We have three guys who are redshirted. and a freshman that's playing his first game. And um, so we've had a lot, of, a lot of rust and a lot of inexperience at that time. And so probably the thing I was most disappointed in that game was, you know, we really got away from how we had practiced every day. And um, so that, that offered up a new challenge that, you know, we saw adversity for the first time. We saw a new opponent, and then we kind of broke apart. We got away from the things that we had worked on. And so, you know, 48 hours later, we got to play a really good Richmond team in Rupp Arena, and we got back to kind of playing the identity that we had worked towards and we had practiced every, you know, the, the couple months leading up to the season. So I felt like that was a real win for us as a team, although we're 0 2 on our schedule. And so I think that's kind of how you have to approach. Um, when you're playing those really difficult opponents is, uh, you know, the, the focus has got to be on getting better. And uh, you know, always tell our guys, whether we're playing at Ohio State, playing, um, you know, a, a team in your in your league or a non-one that's not quite as good, you know, we're not going to judge our performance just based on the out, on the, the final score. You know, we're going we're gonna to judge our performance on how we played uh, versus how we practice every day. And uh, sometimes that stacks up really well against the team sometimes it doesn't um, and, but you got to stick stick to what you uh, what you what you're working on each and every day and, and making sure that your team is coming together and sometimes when you play those really difficult non-conference teams your, your record may be four and six but below the surface you're getting better and I think we're a great uh, testament to that last year with this you know, starting off four and six as you mentioned and then going on to be Yeah, because I mean, if you if you have teams on there out of the Power Five conference, yeah, I mean the the results, you know, it may look there there might be a gap within the score, but ultimately it's it's only going to prepare you for the rest of the year. And it and if you have the opportunity to get to the NCAA tournament like you did this past year against West Virginia, I mean it's got to help you in that aspect aspect to prepare against a solid team in West Virginia and going up against a good coach in Bob Huggins. Yeah, without question, you know, and I think there's a, you know, there's a confidence element to that as well. You know, you get, you know, you get an NCAA tournament, you're, you're playing really good West Virginia team, and then you're, you're looking at the rest of the bracket, and you say, well, we've already played a uh, two-seat in, uh, in in Ohio State. No, we didn't win that game, and the score wasn't what we wanted to be. We learned a lot from it. We've gotten so much better, you know, when we played that team back in December. And uh, so that's kind of where we, we, we drew our confidence going into the NCAA tournament. And um, you, you understand the physicality. You understand the importance of, uh, 
you know, every possession and, and all the little things that you're trying to teach your team. And uh, obviously those lessons hit a little bit harder once you've had some success in your conference and in your conference tournament that gives you confidence, you know, going into a NCAA tournament team against a, a game against a really good team like West Virginia. John I. Broom had a phenomenal season as a freshman a year ago. What was it that made him so impactful as a freshman and ultimately turned out to be one of the best players in the league? Yeah, you know, it's, he, he's such a great story, um, Janai is. You know, he's, he's obviously got a lot of just uh, natural talent. You know, he's got a really good feel for the game. He's got great skills uh, with his hands and his feet and, uh, and and all of those things. And so I think the separator for him was uh, just his mentality. You know, I think he really had a, had a chip on his shoulder coming in. He had a hunger uh, to want to be coached and, and want to get better. And uh, he did that from day one. You know, he put on almost 25 pounds from the time that he got to campus to when he played his first game. And, um, you know, once he started getting acclimated to the physicality, the speed of the game, and, and all the different things that you have to learn as a freshman, uh, when he started to see that ball go in the basket and, and plays that we were running for him and things like that, then his confidence really started to grow. And, and you just saw him get better and better as the year went on. But so much of it had to do with just his personality, his support system, and who he is as a person um, allowed him to, to really flourish as a player. So the transfer portal is a uh, – I mean, it seems to be like a big area of a lot of stuff changing in college basketball this year. Are you a, are you a fan of the transfer portal? You know, I – it's hard to say that you don't want to see a lot of the a lot of the guys that maybe at a smaller school have that opportunity to go play at a power five school. But at the same sure. time, I feel like for some schools, it's hard to build around a program if you got guys leaving, you know, sooner than later. Sure. Yeah. You know what? I don't know that it matters whether I'm a fan of it or not because it's happened. And uh, you can say that you're not a fan of it and, and complain, but uh, <laughs> you're probably going to be out of a job pretty quick <laughs> if that's what you do. So you got to learn to adapt and. Uh, you know, there's positives to everything, and uh, you know we lost some players to the portal uh, who were who were really impact guys for us last year. But uh, I really appreciated our approach um, as a staff this year to how we we went about the portal. Uh, we didn't change our identity as to what type of guys we wanted to recruit. You know, and uh, we we did really well this year. You know, we got three players via the transfer portal in the spring. All three of those guys come from three really good programs. Each one of them won a championship at their previous spot um, at Lipscomb and, and Wofford and, and Wright State. So all of those guys have, have, have been really good players on really good teams. And they've, they've, they've been a part of a championship, but they know what it's like uh, to come in each and every day and work and compete and get better so that you can experience you know, a 20 plus win season. And um, so we recruited winners. You know, we got guys that we like to call they have championship DNA. And that was important for us. And um, you can see a difference in those type of guys when you know, day one when you bring them in because they have a great set of habits that they've built from the programs that they've been at. And so, um, you know, we didn't necessarily want to go out and you know, identify these guys that can just go get buckets and average 17 points on, on teams that they didn't win. Uh, we wanted to get guys who value winning. And so, um, you know, that's how we approach the portal. That's how we approach really building our team four years ago that we were going to recruit winners uh, from the high school and junior college ranks. And so now we're able to do that from other visual programs. Um, to, to answer your question, I'm a fan of that. You know, give me a guy that's been coached really well for three, four years and played in the tournament and played against other Division One teams and 
and, um, and and make sure that he fits into into what we're doing. And so, uh, so far it's been good for us. Um, really like our guys that we brought in. They they fit in well uh, in every aspect on the court, and socially, and within our locker room. And so. Uh, you know, it's all about your approach. You know, you can't be too heartbroken when you lose a player to the portal. You just got to figure out how you're going to replace them and, and if you're going to stick to your of how you do that. So working into, you know, this year's Ohio Valley Conference, you know, the, the conference loss, Eastern Kentucky and Jacksonville State after last season. You know, with those two teams gone, how do you think that impacts the level of play this season, you know, inside the Ohio Valley? you think it makes it more balanced? You know, obviously it'd be a little bit less travel without Jacksonville State in it. Sure, sure. Yeah, you know, um, it, it'll be interesting. Um, you know, obviously you look at the, the last five, six years of the of the league, especially the last three, um, and Jacksonville State and Eastern Kentucky have, have always been in that, that top half. You know, they've been in that three, four, five mix of, uh, you know, competing in the top half of our league. And so when you lose a couple of those teams, it, it offers up the opportunity for some of those other teams to really jump up put themselves into that mix. And so, uh, you know, I, I would expect our league to be extremely competitive top to bottom again this year. A lot of it has to do with the question you asked me a moment ago, the portal. Um, there's a lot of new coaches in our league and there's a lot of new players. And so some of it, uh, we just don't know at the moment. But I think the, the beauty of the, the portal is you've got the opportunity to flip over a roster pretty quickly and to, to make a big jump in your talent pool. And um, I, th- I think that's what I'm looking most forward to seeing from our league once we get into it is how are these new coaches going to be? How, what's their style of play? What are they going to bring to the table? It's going to be a challenge for myself and my staff. And then what kind of players are they bringing in? And um, so you, there's a lot of unknown. Um, I, you know, I think it, you're looking at the standings the past couple of years, you lose a couple of teams like that. I think your knee-jerk reaction would probably be uh, that they would take a dip, as you thought. But I think you've got to keep it in perspective of where we're at in college basketball. And um, any team can make a big jump uh, just with the new rules. And so it's going to be really interesting. But at the end of the day, I think when you get into conference play, whether in the OVC, in the SEC, whatever it is, winning league games is really hard. Really hard. Once you get into, you get past Christmas, you get into January, February, March, sure. you're seeing the same teams over and over guys get better um, and, and, and they figure each other out and just winning league games whether you're the top team playing the bottom team it's really difficult and uh, so that's not going to change that won't change no matter who's in our league and, uh, and, and uh, how many teams are in it so you're coming off the you know OVC championship last year you know NCAA tournament appearance against West Virginia what has you most excited about you know, your team this year at Moorhead State. I mean, you got another loaded schedule in non-conference playing teams like Auburn, UAB, Mississippi State, Xavier, as well as some other, you know, solid mid-major teams. Yeah, you know, a lot of things. A lot of things have us excited. Um, you know, first of all, I'm excited to, to get back and play it in great atmospheres. You know, we've got a really good home schedule this year. Uh, more home games than we've had in, in most years. And so getting our fans the opportunity to get back into Johnson Arena, be a part of our experience and, and help us win in games and creating a great 
uh, home court advantage. And, and then going on places, going on the road to places like Auburn, Xavier, um, that they're going to have a terrific road atmosphere as well. And so seeing how our team responds to that is, is something that's going to be a new challenge, uh, especially for guys who never played in, in those environments before. And then, uh, you know, seeing how we stack up this year, um, in terms of, uh, you know, playing against the Auburns and the Mississippi States, as you mentioned, I think, you know, our expectation is going to be a little bit higher this year that we can play with those guys. And, um, you know, we are going to go into the mindset to get better without question, but we're going to go in there and try to win those games. And then, uh, you know, if you do that, how do you respond? If you don't win those, how do you respond as well? And I think those are going to be the challenges uh, for a team coming off a championship is going to be, uh, you know, how's your focus going to be? When you're when you're up, how's your focus going to be when you're down? And can you can you stay even keel and just kind of keep your focus, um, you know, on, on getting better and sticking together as a team? And uh, that's going to be a challenge for our team this year. So to kind of wrap it up here, uh, two unique questions to kind of end up in the uh, interview here. Uh, what prompted you to work for the Dominican Republic national team for two summers? Yeah, that's a great question. So, um, you know, going into my third year at, uh, at Kentucky, uh, Coach Cal actually took over as the head coach of the Dominican national team. And, uh, you know, he had that connection with uh, Orlando Antigua, who was on our staff at the time and was back on his staff at Kentucky. And, um, and so Cal coached the Dominican national team for two years as the head coach, and he took uh, different members of, of our staff at UK with him. And I was very fortunate to be selected as one of the guys that got to do that. And uh, it was a great experience for me. First time in my life that I'd been out of the country. I got a chance to coach professional players. I got to be on the court. I got to do scouting. I got to do so many things that I wasn't able to do at, uh, at UK in my role that I had there uh, for them. And so I got to really expand that. And uh, just an unbelievable experience to get to do that for two summers. And so uh, something that would love the opportunity to do again in the future. So what kind of atmosphere is it like? You know, obviously you've been around college basketball, but I'm sure being a part of the Olympics, you know, even for a, you know, a different you know country, I'm sure it's, it's a lot different, you know, whether it be the atmosphere or just the, the whole aspect of it. Yeah, no, it's a great experience. I mean, you're, you're around people that, uh, coaches or players who are playing for their countries or respective countries just, uh, for a university uh, or playing against someone else's university. But when you're going against someone else's country, it's uh, that, that certainly gets magnified. And so uh, it was an unbelievable experience. And I think the players themselves are so much better in that uh, that FIBA setting, playing for their country, than maybe they are playing for their NBA teams. Uh, people always ask me the question, who's the best player that you ever got the opportunity to coach against? And I always say, with hands down, it was Manu Ginobili. And, uh, you know, Manu Ginobili was obviously a terrific player for the, for the Spurs, uh, but he was a dominant player uh, for Argentina when he played for those guys. And so just uh, the level of play that those guys uh, rise to when they when they play in, in FIBA and play in the Olympics is, is really impressive. Something that's really fun to be a part of. So the last question here, and we kind of ask all our guests this every time we have somebody on. Uh, myself, I love to eat. Uh, TJ, who's usually here, uh, you know, he's big into food as well. Uh, favorite place to eat at, either in Moorhead, Kentucky, or maybe on the road inside the Ohio Valley. Yeah, that's not a great question. Uh, we'll, we'll stay with Moorhead because okay. I don't want to. I don't. I want to brag on other OVC <laughs> teams. And, 
you know, and, and who knows who's going to be in the league, as you mentioned, so I don't want him to do that. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a big local guy, uh, Chris. I, I do everything local, man, and shop local. And uh, my wife and I, we just really enjoy being a part of the community uh, here in Moorhead in every aspect. And so, uh, you know, I start every morning by stopping on Main Street at the Fuzzy Duck Coffee Shop and, uh, you know, bless those people. I haven't had to order coffee in, in years. I walk in, they got it sitting there waiting on me and I'm ready to go and start my day. But um, if I was going to pick my favorite place to eat, I'd have to go with uh, a place called Giovanni's. Giovanni's is an Italian spot right next to the gym there. Uh, unbelievable pizza, pasta, salads, all that kind of stuff. We'll do that for pregame meal. Coaches will get some pizzas and stuff postgame meal most often. So uh, great, great spot. If you're ever coming in to check out a game, go over and see my guy Skip at, uh, at Giovanni's. It sounds like a heck of a place to go. I mean, I'm big into pizza. And, I mean, it, it's hard to find it. Well, at least for me, it's hard to find a bad pizza around uh, St. Louis outside of, you know, the local chains. But, yeah, I'm always interested in trying new pizza and, you know, seeing what it's all about. No question. I'm with you. I don't think I've ever had a bad one. I haven't had a pizza I don't like yet. So uh, I'm always up for suggestions. So that's a, it's, it's a good one right there. Well, I tell you what, Coach Spradlin, you know, don't want to take up too much more of your time. I know you're on the road. And uh, just best of luck to you the rest of the year and, you know, the rest of your coaching career at Moorhead State or wherever you may end up. And uh, good luck to the program this year. And, you know, we'll be rooting for you. Yeah, Chris, thanks so much for having me on, man. I hope you guys will continue to, to follow our team. And anytime you can have me back on here, we'd, we'd love to do so. All right, we appreciate it, Coach. Take care. All right, thanks. And that was our interview when we caught up with Coach Preston Spradlin you know, earlier in the week. You know, TJ, I know you couldn't make the interview, but just getting the chance to chat with him, I mean, I had a great time. I mean, he's got a lot of good things going at Moorhead State. It's great to see you know, an in-state guy that's, you know, born in Kentucky, you know, have a chance to, you know, somewhat stay local and coach at Kentucky. You know, he's had a kind of a unique path to Right, right. It's really wild. He's like, just some random team I'm going to coach in, you know, the Olympics. Yeah, I mean, he, you know, he helped out with the Dominican Republic team for uh, two summers. He was under John Calipari at Kentucky. And, you know, he's made his way to Moorhead State. And the guy seems to have good taste in food, too. I mean, pizza... It's hard to go wrong with pizza. Now you can make a bad pizza. I, we'll we'll agree to that. But like, I mean that it's that's a staple. I mean, and you know, I love my pizza. So oh, I, th- I think we both do. I mean, too much. On, me. Honestly, I don't think I've had a bad pizza that I can really recall. I'll still find a way to eat the thing. Yeah. Now there might be some pizza I I somewhat dislike, but overall that whole thing will be gone. I don't want to get us too far off track here. So I have a question for you at the end about, about pizza. So okay. let's, we'll, we'll stay on topic here so we don't lose people that are like, we're going to talk about food again. Jeez. <laughs> Great podcast. But uh, other than that, TJ, to kind of wrap up the show here, uh, we'll get into some of the schools I think would fit well into the Ohio Valley. Uh, it, it may not you know translate into the football side of things now that you had a little bit time to do your quote-unquote deep dive after we're kind of like what the heck just happened we haven't talked about the rumors although unsubstantiated that murray state is leaving is going to change valleys too i mean i haven't really seen anything other than that that one i don't know if it was a tweet or what you shared with me right 
that's the way it started last week. But by this time, it had been confirmed. Yeah, but I, mean, I hope, I hope, I hope they stay in the OVC. I mean, God, right. God bless. I mean, it's kind of getting odd seeing all these teams uh, departing. Yeah. So I interrupted you. So all good. You all deep good. dive into the best fit. So. The teams that I found, you know, as I was saying, I, maybe it doesn't translate to the football side of things, even though I think the conference is probably going to try and, and gather a team or two for football. When you look at the basketball side of things, there were six teams that came to mind for me. And I did this basically on a geographical layout of what – if I thought the school would fit well, you know, geographical layout within the what would be the remaining teams in the conference, okay. as well as the conference they're in right now, do I think it'd be, you know, maybe a, an upgrade if they went to the OVC? Gotcha. Yeah, that they're not going to Kentucky's not going to join the OVC. Uh, go ahead and cross that one off my list. <laughs> uh, but no, other than that. You know, if, if they were like maybe a team that maybe kind of at the bottom of their conference, mm-hmm. may, maybe they would they would see, hey, oh, okay, maybe we'd be able to compete better, even mm-hmm. if it was a conference that was maybe similar to the maybe gotcha. OVC, but you know, more competition, maybe. Uh, any guesses that come to mind? Northern Kentucky. Nope. Wright State. Nope. Right conference. IUPUI, are they in that yeah, conference? Yeah, that, that was one of them. The Mastodons of Purdue-Fort Wayne? That's another one. That's two. Um, try to think here. How about... Uh, There's one more school in that Horizon Conference. Gosh. I'm trying to think. I'll give you a hint. Flames. Oh, Illinois-Chicago. Yep. Yeah. See, okay. those those three right there, I mean, it, it seems like, you know, year in, year out, there's a couple teams that play, especially IUPUI and, you know, IPFW, it seems like every year. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're already playing teams within the conference. You know, IUPUI last year, uh, you know, they kind of finished in the middle of the pack within the, uh, within the conference. Yeah, I mean, I was looking at these records that I had down. I was really starting to second guess myself, but then I realized that no, I was correct in that IUPUI and uh, Purdue Fort Wayne, right, didn't play basically any non-conference games. So IUPUI was eight and ten last year. Uh, Purdue Fort Wayne eight and fifteen, and then UIC was nine and thirteen. So. That's the three schools right there in the Horizon League that I had. There's three okay. more, but typically I know SEMO, they go and play a couple of these schools, it seems like, every year, every other year. And then, you know, I've seen other schools, uh, you know, maybe not UIC, but IUPUI and PFW play those. Okay. Am I supposed to guess again? Yeah. Do we say Western Illinois again, like we talked about last week? Western Illinois is on out of the Summit League. Uh, before we go further, I do believe uh, Tennessee State played uh, one of these schools last year. Oh, yeah, they played IUPUI at Indianapolis. I watched that game. You must have. Uh, hey, I was trying. That, show, that, it was show prep. That was on the big screen for you. 
I think it might have been. Yep. So you're turned into an OVC OVC guy. In my spare time, <laughs> which I have so much of. But yeah, uh, Western Illinois, that was another one. Uh, Summit League, 7-15 and 15 last year. Okay. These other two, you know, geographically makes sense. Oh, I'm supposed to guess still. I'm sorry. Yeah, you got Bad two Q. more. Um, are, we, are we still going north? Or are we going south of those schools? I'm just going to tell you, think Tennessee. Lipscomb? Yep. And I have no idea on the last one. Maybe University of Alabama, Huntsville. Great hockey program. Close. I had God's no honest idea. truth. Great hockey. Program. I had no idea. Yeah, it's where my sister graduated from, and they consider Huntsville the hockey capital of the South. Well, you learn something new every day. I, you, <laughs> <laughs> they may not even have a hockey program, and well, I have no they idea. Do. They do. They really do have a solid hockey program. Yeah. So, well, the man. useless stuff that fills my head. Yep, I've heard enough. Uh, East Tennessee State is the sixth one out of the okay. Southern Conference. Okay. Uh, finished 13 and 12 last year. Actually, did participate in the Ohio Valley way back when. Wow. 1958 to 1978. Wow. Was I alive during any of those years? Pop quiz for you. 58 to 78, you said, right? Yep. Let's see here. We're watching Chris try to math here for those of you listening in your car at home or. Ready to quit the podcast right now. Uh, no. Well, that's the safe bet. If I were your I was gonna girlfriend say or seven, your wife. 79. No, I was born in 76, so mm. I would have had to, two seasons. But I'm sure you remembered the... Oh, obviously. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but yeah, those, those are the six schools. Lipscomb, IUPUI, PFW, UIC, East Tennessee State, Western Illinois. Now, they make sense geographical standpoint because, I mean, if you look at the other schools that, would, that are currently in it right now, you have Eastern Illinois, then you got Moorhead State, Murray State, mm-hmm. SIUE, SEMO, Tennessee State, Tennessee Tech, and UT Martin. So, I mean, they, they make sense when you look at it that way because, you know, Lipscomb, East Tennessee State, both reside, obviously, in Tennessee. And you already got Tennessee State, Tech, and Martin, you know, located in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. And the the other ones are Kentucky and Illinois Illinois and 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 Missouri. So, I mean, I was hoping maybe a couple years back Lipscomb would make its way to the OVC which I, it's still possible. But the only downfall I see here is that, you know, they're in the A-Sun, and the A-Sun seems to is, is be getting better. Taking the teams that they would have wanted to play in the exactly. OVC. Yeah. Like, it would have made sense for, like, a Belmont, you know. I mean, you're right there. I mean, they play them in non-conference, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's a short travel. All right, so not with nothing confirmed about Murray State. Okay. At seven in the OVC, is that correct? That's correct. Right, because five teams have left? There's seven if Murray State were to leave. Okay, so we're at eight. Yes. They want to get back to ten. We'll take Lipscomb off the board for the reasons you just stated. Okay. Which two of those would Chris Smith think is the best fit for the OBC? 
Well, I think if you're looking maybe at what what kind of team would maybe boost the you know RPI or the you know the what the net. where they could get the net the quad one quad two Palm. wins or whatever Ken Palm stuff like that exactly I'm with you I think you gotta go East Tennessee State okay you know that that's a team that's been you know on the uphill climb here and you know last year they were above 500 and you know Simo actually had a guy that transferred to East Tennessee State a couple years back a Ladarius Brewer and when you look at the Southern Conference you have you got North Carolina Greensboro Wofford, Furman, and then Chattanooga, and then East Tennessee State was next, you know, in the conference. Now, that's the same conference that Samford went to after they left the OVC. Okay. But if you were to look at the OVC last year, I think the – or in the last couple years, I think the OVC, I think, is better than the Southern. Um, I – now, maybe overall with the group of teams, maybe the Southern is more balanced. Okay. But I think the top-heavy teams that were in the OVC mm-hmm. compared to the Southern, I think the OVC outweighs uh, the Southern Okay. in terms of you know, maybe RPI. Now, that's no slouch off of North Carolina Greensboro because they've been really good mm-hmm. over the last few years. Um, so East Tennessee State would be number one. And then... I think I think Western Illinois would probably be number two. Okay. Just because I think Western Illinois makes more sense if they were to go to the OVC and then stay in the summit for maybe geographical purposes. And I also think it works out better for the OVC because that'd be the third Illinois school. And, you know, SEMO isn't too far from, mm-hmm. you know, Western. And, you know, it wouldn't be too far to get to – you know, Evansville for the tournament. Right. But the, the other thing that I look at is, you know, if you're having a tournament in Evansville, Indiana, I mean, I just feel like you'd want to have a team in the state of Indiana. Understood. Wouldn't you? Or wouldn't it make sense? Yeah, I guess. I think you're, I think your biggest concern is something geographically central. You know, and makes sense that in terms of travel to. So, I guess my two would be East Tennessee State and Western Illinois, and then IUPUI if uh, yes if they want to go to eleven or if Murray's not going to hang around. Yep. Okay. Gotcha. And the reason I would take Western Illinois over, you know, one of them is you know Western Illinois also has a football team, and right they're in the you know Missouri Valley where they might not. You know, not having great success. Yeah, don't don't tell that to my Salukis after last week. Yeah, you were there, weren't you? No, no, because it was at Western. Oh, I thought you went to every game. No, I'm not not one of those people. Oh, not yet. Okay. Yeah, they they uh they struggled a little bit, didn't mm-hmm. they? Yeah, and yeah, you know, I know some fans are upset. So SIU won in overtime, gave up a 21 nothing lead, go to OT. Score the first touchdown in OT. Kick the PAT. They're up 31-24. I feel we're in great shape. Western Illinois scores on their first play in OT. 31-30. Then goes for two. And by all means, it looked like they were going to try and throw a, basically a double pass or a halfback pass. 
kid from SIU snuffs it out, tackles him. He goes for two, though, mm. at home. But, I mean, they've lost to Montana and Eastern Washington and SIU, if you're Western Illinois. Those are three legit Those, top yeah. ten teams. East Washington always has a good yeah, team. I mean, and two of them are legit top five. Now, who does Carbondale play next week? Or this week, I guess. South Dakota State. See? that's an, I mean, Carbondale, they may have just flat out been looking past them. Gosh, I hope so. Because Carbondale, I mean, you know, they're ranked pretty high. And yeah. I think South, well, South Dakota State just, you know, lost the national championship game on basically the last play of the game. Um, I will not travel to South Dakota State, though. You're not a real fan. That's okay. If it means I don't have to put up with South Dakota State fans, I'm okay with that. Well, with that, TJ, uh, that pretty much wraps up the show this week. Do you uh, you got any final thoughts? Yeah, I got a question for you. Uh, we, we talked okay. about pizza. Being in the <clears throat> St. Louis region that we are, what, what what's your opinion of Emo's? <laughs> like if I say, hey, I'm going to grab a pizza, I'm going to go to Emo's. You want to tag along? What does Chris Smith say? Do you know what I'm going to say? I feel like I do now based on your body language. I know Emo's has a lot of hype around, you know, St. Louis and, you know, uh, what, I think Simone Biles was big into the Emo's or something when she was here for okay, the Olympics. The trials. And it seems like, you know, everybody and their brother and sister on here loves Emo's. I'm just not on board with it. Okay. Is it the thin crust or is it the Provel cheese? It's the Provel cheese. See, I, I'm with you 100%. Because I love thin crust. I'm, I just I'm, had a Domino's pizza the other night and I had the, the square thin crust right, pizza. Right. I'm with you. I, I feel the same way. Now, does that mean I won't eat it if somebody, you know, if it's at someone's house and say, hey, you know, we're going to get Emo's. Do you want to have a couple pizza? I mean, yeah, I'll eat it. I like pizza, but I'm not going to go out of my way to, to go get it. Right. It's not my first choice. Yeah, if it's just if it's coming to your house, someone else is going to have to order it instead of you. Yes. No, I, I got you. I'm with you. I'm with you. I, I I'm definitely not the big Provel cheese. It's just it's a different taste. You know, it just something gets acquired to you, and I feel like it's one of those things that you get judged for as a St. Louis, and you know you don't like emos. Like I've personally offended. Yep. Your family. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, you don't have no idea how much backlash I've gotten from saying, "Oh, I'm not a fan." But what about uh, pie pizza? You, have you eaten there? Never had a pie. <clears throat> I don't like it either. <laughs> I didn't say I didn't like it. I've never had it. Well, I, I wasn't a big fan of it. Okay. I, I think it's it's a certain taste that you got to have for it. I mean, that's okay. some of that deeper dish kind of pizza, and I, I'm not big on that. I mean, if you like deep dish, I mean, it's probably a great place to go try. Yeah. But have you ever heard of a place called PW Pizza? Mm-mm. It's a... Uh, I think it's off a of Shoto. Okay. I love that pizza. All right. Yeah, it's, that's good I, stuff. I know this is biased to me, but anytime I go to a new pizza place and I see something with the likes of goat cheese on certain pizzas, I feel like it ruins every other pizza that they have. Yeah. Like, don't try and don't try and get too fancy. Don't give me your artisan pizzas. Just give me give me a good pizza. Okay. Uh you got fifteen seconds here before we wrap this up. What's your favorite normal fast food pizza? Jimmy John. Or not Jimmy John's, uh, Papa John's. Okay, I'm not letting you answer on mine. Casey's Pizza, gas station. Uh, for that... That's not fast food, though. That's, yeah, it counts. 
if it sure does count. Yeah. I'm not disagreeing with you. Okay. I'll let you go. Yep. That's going to wrap up episode five here on season two of View of the Valley's podcast. For TJ Hoover and Chris Smith, thanks for tuning in. And again, a special thanks to Coach Preston Spradlin of Moorhead State for taking time out of his week to join the show to discuss Moorhead State hoops and the Ohio Valley Conference. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple, Google, and SoundCloud. And you can also give us a follow on Twitter at ViewValleysPod. Enjoy the rest of your week. Have a good one, everybody.